Good morning. Uh, thank you, Gordon, for leading us in our worship. Um, let's just pray before we come uh, to look at Proverbs. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for everything that you have packed into it uh, for our instruction, for our learning. And we pray, Lord, that as we think about Proverbs this morning, that you will uh, help us to enjoy the book and uh, learn about how to use it and learn from some of its themes that it seeks to teach us through. In thy name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're now on the third part of four in our series on Proverbs, getting wise about wisdom, or perhaps the fourth part in five, because Ian Grant also spoke about Proverbs last Sunday morning. I started off talking about getting wise about wisdom. Then we talked about getting wise about worship. Um, I may not have made the link between the fear of the Lord and worship very clear because I changed my conclusion at the last moment um, uh, on Sunday evening two weeks ago. But the point there was that uh, the, the fear of the Lord, our reverence for God, our worship for him, that is the foundation of our wisdom and the way that we live, uh, was in the book of Proverbs shown to be very much concerned with justice and righteousness not issues like sacrifice or, or praise or whatever. Uh, so my apologies for not making the link between justice and righteousness and worship clear uh, when I was doing that. This morning, uh, a bit more controversial perhaps, we're going to talk about getting wise about women. And I have to confess that uh, this series has made me quite nervous <laughs> thinking about talking about these kinds of things in church. Um, Part of the reason I'm doing this series is because when I came to lecture on Proverbs, it really opened up the book for me. It was a book I'd pretty much ignored before because the, the Proverbs all seemed a little bit uh, too straightforward or simplistic or perhaps not entirely relevant as I've seen it. Uh, so I hadn't really bothered to take much time to study them. Um, but whenever I came to lecture on it, it really uh, it made the book a lot more interesting for me, and I wanted to try and share that with you in the hope that you would uh, be able to also pick up this book and uh, make more use of it than perhaps you have already done. Uh, so my series is really based on the lectures that I, I give in Proverbs or had started to prepare. Uh, this evening we're going to be talking about getting wise uh, about wealth, although that might be uh, in part more me sharing experiences from Nigeria because I haven't had as much time to prepare that. Um, but uh, the reason I'm doing uh, Getting Wise About Women was through a conversation with a woman called Carl Kallenberg who had uh, taught in Nigeria for a period of time uh, with SIM, a missionary with SIM. And uh, she made me aware of some of the issues to do with uh, uh, women in Nigeria and the, the, the society there. Uh, so I, I tackled that subject in the book of Proverbs um, and it's relevant everywhere as all of God's word is. <clears throat> we said in, in the first 
part of our series, I, I said that Proverbs are internalized principles and guidelines that aid conscientious reflection on where we are going in life, what we are doing with it, and how we deal with other people before God. So these are things that we learn, principles that we uh, make part of ourselves and the way that we think about the world and deal with it. So getting wise about women. I want to start off thinking about uh, some of the wisdom of this world. This here is uh, a little thing that my son Caleb got in uh, McDonald's. Oh, I should clarify, you probably noticed my wife's not with me. It's not because she has a problem with uh, what I'm doing today. It's simply because uh, with, uh, Lauren hasn't been sleeping as great this week, so she's pretty tired. Uh, so if you'll excuse her, it's not because I'm going to be teaching anything uh, that she might find offensive. <laughs> um, well, this here is a little thing that Caleb got from in McDonald's. And uh, let me just... Uh, Uh, If you're a fan of McFly, you might recognize it. Um, But it's a song that goes, the heart never lies. We are the lovers, I know you believe me, when you look into my eyes, because the heart never lies. And in the first part of this uh, series, we we thought about how the world says, um, follow your heart, and uh, how the book of Proverbs is saying, follow uh, this wisdom, this learning which will give you understanding and the difference between the two. So that's one uh, of the ideas that you love is simply following your heart. You know uh, you're with the right person because you feel it in your heart. A few other things that uh, I came across in the paper um, while I was researching or or preparing for this in the last few weeks Uh, There was one article I came across um, that was uh, saying about there was this actress who was playing a part in a play that satirizes feminism. And she was speaking out and saying that uh, about the bad effect that feminism has had um, and that she wants women to be able to be more feminine, uh, that feminism has taken away women's femininity. In the Daily Mail on the 9th of August, there was also an article, and you might want to cover your ears if, if you're easily offended, but the, the, the head, headline in the article was Plea for Feminism Lessons for Girls Who Call Themselves Slut. And it was a doctor, uh, Jessica Ringrose, had studied the habits of schoolgirls and found that they increasingly linked their personal worth to their ability to be sexually attractive. And hence, they would use these terms uh, like slut of themselves. And that was the way that they were forming their identity. Um, So she talked about how the media sexualizes femininity and through music videos and that kind of thing. And she said she wants feminists to be held up as role models uh, for the girls in schools. Now, most of them I didn't recognize. One of them I did, Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons as one of the feminist role models she wanted uh, to be taught in schools. 
Another article was saying about a survey that showed uh, that there are no more supermums. That is, women who try and raise a family and hold uh, down a career at the same time and that it's becoming less popular simply because it is proving impossible for women to have a, a high power career and uh, also raise children. Another interesting article was that there's uh, talk of a law being introduced that allows leniency on wives who decide to kill abusive husbands. It no longer has to be a crime of passion. They can premeditate the, the, the murder of their abusive husband and they will know that the law will go lightly on them. So that's just some of the, the things that represent the way that the world is thinking about uh, women. What does the book of Proverbs have to say on the issue? Does it have uh, wisdom which we might find better than some of that in the world? So let's start uh, looking at Proverbs um, with another little puzzle for you. Again, I want you to identify the odd one out uh, from these four pictures. So we have a dripping tap. We have a man sitting in the desert. We have a chair in the corner of a rooftop. And we have a gold ring and a pig's nose. Now, can somebody tell me which one is the odd one out? This one might uh, be a bit more taxing than the first one. Yes, is that the one you're saying is the odd one out? <laughs> now let me just help you. The odd one out is the one with the pig and the gold ring. Uh, there's a proverb, Proverbs 11:22 says, Gold jewelry in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who abandons discretion. So this proverb is about the woman who abandons discretion. The other three represent proverbs about contentious women. So the difference is between a woman who abandons discretion and a contentious woman. Now for, this is probably, uh, if you're a man, one of the first proverbs that you come to know. Uh, It's certainly uh, my experience in youth fellowship was that the only uh, time we ever heard about proverbs was when uh, some of the guys were having a laugh at this proverb and others that compare women to uh, pigs. Um, But the pig for Israel was an unclean animal. It would root about in the filth and the earth, uh, its nose in the ground and in the dirt. So the very idea of putting a gold ring, something so precious, on the nose of a pig was completely uh, abhorrent to the people of Israel. Abandons means purposely leave the It's talking about a woman who makes a point to deliberately uh, abandons discretion. Discretion uh, has the idea of taste, of being able to uh, have good taste, good discernment or sensible judgment. So the woman starts rooting about, as it were, like a pig. So it's a revolting image opposed to that of a beautiful woman. So, natural beauty, physical beauty, or beauty enhanced by ornamentation cannot disguise the inner moral nature 
of a person. Forget the ornamentation, this proverb is saying. Uh, Look at the character. Now, we need to remember the audience that the book of Proverbs was initially aimed at. It was wisdom to be taught for young men. So the proverb is warning young men, don't be taken in simply by the outward appearance, by beauty. You have to take account for the character, the, the moral nature of a woman. So it's guiding the young man and making uh, one of the most important choices that he's going to make in life. Other proverbs. Uh, Again, in 1913, a foolish son is a disaster for his father. A wife's contentions are constant dripping. Another of those proverbs that uh, young men find amusing. So contentious here means looking for a fight, to be confrontational, to go out of your way, uh, to cause trouble. And uh, just in case we get the wrong impression and think that Proverbs is painting a caricature of woman, it also makes it clear that contention isn't, uh, or women don't have a monopoly in contention, but uh, it's something that can be a problem for men as well. So Proverbs 26:21 says, Cold to glowing embers, wood to fire. A contentious man ignites conflict. So it's something that the, the young man is also being advised to avoid. Now why, if you want to understand this proverb, you should ask, why is a foolish son a disaster for his father? Well, Genesis 18, verse 19, uh, we can go back and find that God explains his purpose for choosing Israel. His purpose for choosing Abraham and his descendants is expressed in this way. For I have entered into relationship with him in order that he will instruct his children and his succeeding family. So that he will keep Yahweh's way practicing righteousness and justice in order that Yahweh will realize what he has promised him. So the whole purpose of choosing Israel was that they would uh, keep the, the understanding and the practice of wisdom, of justice and righteousness from generation to generation. And the family was central in God's purpose in Israel, the father's house. Everyone had a share in the land that they would pass on from generation to generation. It was for the good of the whole society. And a foolish son risked losing everything. Wisdom should be central in the home if God's purpose was uh, to be realized. So the foolish son who doesn't follow the wisdom, the justice and righteousness that his father teaches is a disaster. It's going against God's very purpose uh, for the family. And the woman who is contentious is like an incessant dripping, something perhaps like Chinese water torture. It's not the only proverb on the contentious woman. This one here. 
There is no difference between a contentious wife and the dripping of a leaky roof and a thunderstorm. Whoever secures her secures himself wind. So the, the, the dripping here, um, as Walter suggests, is a leaky roof. The house, the father's house, the household through which wisdom is to be passed from generation to generation is leaking. The woman is supposed to be a shelter from the storm. The wife is supposed to, as Genesis tells us, be a suitable helper, a partner in building the house on wisdom. We find elsewhere in Proverbs that the son is instructed to listen to the wisdom of his mother. It's not just the father who passes on wisdom to the children, but the mother. If the wife is working against the husband, the home is not secure. It's not protected from the elements. It's not protected from the harm that comes from outside. Everyone in the home will suffer. The wife is uh, described as becoming a storm within the home, as it were. If you want to... um, get an idea of uh, something of the problems that this can cause in a home Uh, we can look briefly at Bob Dylan's Blood in the Tracks album it's an album uh, which he recorded when uh, he was going through uh, the breakup of his marriage a very uh, difficult breakup it contains songs like Idiot Wind which has the lines Idiot Wind blowing every time you move your teeth You're an idiot, babe. It's a wonder that you still know how to breathe. Uh, So, imagery there reflecting the imagery of Proverbs. In another song on the album called Shelter from the Storm, he says, I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Another line in the same song says, Try imagining a place that's always safe and warm. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Uh, So two songs reflecting the beginning of the relationship and the hope that a secure uh, relationship, a secure home could be built. And another song reflecting the the end and the, the pain that it caused and the resentment and the anger. Secure In this uh, proverb, whoever secures her secures himself wind. It's it's in one of the proverbs we looked at in the first session. In 10.14, the wise secure knowledge. It means uh, to make safe, to hide away or to lay up, as it's translated in the AV. It's, It's something precious, something useful that is to be kept safe. Uh, so in, in Proverbs 2.1, uh, we're told, secure my commandments. The, the father says to the son, secure my commandments. And in 2.7, we're told the Lord secures sound wisdom for the righteous. In 13.22, the wealth of the sinner is secured for the just. And Song of Songs 7.13 says, which I have reserved 
or secured for you, my beloved. Sorry, let me just read the whole verse. 7, 13 in Song of Songs says, The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at the door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you or secured for you, my lover. Uh, So we get the irony here of something that was supposed to be precious and protected uh, becoming something which is very uh, damaging. So we continue on with the, the contentious wife. The corner of a roof is a better home than a house crowded by a contentious woman. Crowded here suggests that there is no room for the husband in the house. There is room only for the wife. She crowds out her husband, suffocates him so that he has to get up onto the roof of the house to get air and space. So the man is abandoning his house, the father's house, just It's not just a living space, it's his past, his future, and he has no longer any claim over his own life. So this proverb, in a sense, draws attention to the fact that there are two people in a marriage, and it does not do for one to push the other out. The desert makes a better home than the vexation caused by a contentious wife. So again, there's a a sharp contrast between the way a home should be and the way that a contentious wife can make it become. The desert is a place of hardship. It's a place that is practically lifeless. And for any Israelite who knew their history, the desert was not an environment that they would wish to return to. It's going against the very purposes of God in bringing uh, Israel through the wilderness into the promised land. Home is where life is. It's where life is fed, where life is nurtured, where life is sustained, where life can be experienced and enjoyed in its fullest. It's the very center of society. Now, you've probably heard jokes about contentious or nagging women. Like jokes about mother-in-laws, it's one of those things that, uh, that seems to have an ongoing appeal. But nagging or being contentious is no laughing matter. We don't hear jokes so much about wife-beating because we know what that does to a woman. But perhaps we don't often consider enough what contentions or nagging can do to another person. It can push people over the edge. So this proverb draws attention to the vexation that can be caused by contention. I watched a program on the Quran on Channel 4 
recently. And uh, one of the things that I found interesting was that in the Quran there is uh, permission for the husband to beat a bad wife. And in the program there was a woman, the wife of a Muslim, a Muslim wife, explaining that it wasn't a problem. She didn't have a problem with it because it's only a certain type of woman that the man can beat. As long as you're good, you don't have to worry about it. But we find nothing like that in God's word. Nowhere in God's word does it say that the man has a right to beat his wife. This proverb, in fact, suggests that it might be better to escape than to let the woman rile you up. The prospect of a trip into the desert should maybe prompt you to think that there might be alternative solutions. If you're going to have to abandon your home and go and live in the middle of nothingness, maybe you should try and sort out the problem first. So I don't think the the Proverbs are necessarily saying that there's no hope if there's a contentious wife that you need to get out of there and make an escape. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is a fortified city. Contentions the bars of a castle gate. So, contentions aren't simply... They don't simply stand alone. There is also the question of offense. The contentions may be caused when one party is offended. And the possibility um, of resolving contention is made clear in the, the preceding verse, 18, verse 18. Casting the lot settles disputes or contentions and keeps strong opponents apart. So it's not beyond resolution. If we go back to Proverbs 26, 20 to 21, we read, No wood and the fire dies. No one to slander and contention calms. Coal to glowing embers, wood to fire. A contentious man ignites conflict. Uh, So it's saying that the in order for a conflict to continue, it needs to be fed, that it may be that there is slander, something wrong has been said, which is causing contention, and uh, the fuel for the fire needs to be taken away. In 15:18, we read, An angry man stirs up contention, but whoever restrains their anger can put conflict to rest. So if the man can control his anger, if he can be patient, he has a chance of resolving the conflict. So the questions need to be asked. Is the contention caused by offence or slander? So it's not simply that the man can accuse his wife of being contentious, but that he needs to consider whether he has any part in the problem. Is your response inflaming a spark into a conflagration? Stop whatever it is that is sustaining the problem. Be careful about blaming your wife if you haven't fixed everything in yourself. It's something to think about when you're sitting on the corner of the roof. 
Now, granted, it may be in some cases that there's nothing a man can do. But the Proverbs prompt both partners to examine themselves, their attitudes and their actions, and what they are doing. But so much for the negative Proverbs about women. There are also positive things that are said about women or wives in Proverbs. So if we go back to 1913, where we were told, a foolish son is the disaster to his father, a wife's contentions, incessant dripping. Uh, We see that it is immediately, sorry. We see that it is immediately followed by the proverb, household and wealth come by inheritance, from a father, but from the Lord comes a wise and capable wife. Uh, so the, the, the idea of household and wealth come by inheritance to the father links in with the fact that a, a foolish son is a disaster to his father uh, because it, it disrupts the, the continuity between generations. And then From the Lord comes a wise and capable wife. So what does it mean from the Lord? Does it mean that the Lord gives uh, as a packaged gift a good and capable wife and that you just have to sit and wait for it? Well, I don't think it means quite that, but it certainly does mean that you should trust the Lord to guide and provide in uh, choosing a wife but it also means I believe that a woman that a woman who is wise and capable is one whose life is shaped by faith in the Lord whose wife is ordered by his wisdom Uh, so it's recognizing that only from the Lord uh, are you going to get a a wise and capable wife uh, for a wise and capable man Another proverb reads, He who finds a wife finds good and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, the LXX, or the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, adds these words, He who divorces a good wife divorces something good, but he who keeps an adulteress is foolish and ungodly. Uh, So the LXX is in a way trying to control um, how women are represented and has to get in the negative, uh, a negative view of women alongside the positive. But in uh, the text itself, we don't have that more negative statement. Wisdom in 8.32 says, He who finds me finds life and shall obtain favor from the Lord so just as he who finds a wife finds good and obtains favour from the Lord he who finds wisdom finds life and obtains favour from the Lord so wisdom and woman are being closely identified the same thing that defines the wisdom that is to be sought out is what defines a wife who is to be sought out So 
So seeking the fi- needs to be a part of the agenda. Finding isn't just stumbling upon. It's not just uh, taking the first woman you, you meet, the first woman who takes your fancy as a wife. It's saying that there are standards that the young man is to have, standards that are measured by the Lord's favor. That which is acceptable or delightful to the Lord. For example, in 1912, we read, A lion's roar is royal wrath, due on pasture, royal favor. Or in 1613, a king's favor is righteous lips and love, and kings love those who speak for what is right. Just a few more proverbs then. A gracious woman clings to honor as fearsome men hold fast riches. Now again, I want to draw attention to the LXX translation in the Greek. It says that a gracious woman brings glory to her husband, but a woman hating righteousness is a throne of dishonor. The slothful come to lack riches, but the manly rest secure on wealth. Uh, completely distorting the sense of the original proverb. It's no longer the woman that has her honor, but brings glory to the husband. It seems that the translators could not allow a woman honor in her own right and couldn't allow a positive statement to go unbalanced without a negative. And some modern translations, in fact, follow the LXX version. Honor is importance, it's significance. The respect and glory that one gets in the community, in society, it's a different kind of wealth. And the, the fact that the, it is fearsome men who hold fast to wealth gives a negative image of the wealth. So a gracious woman uh, finds greater wealth in honor. Twelve four says a strong woman is a crown to her husband and a shameful wife is wrought in his bones. Again, what I have translated strong here is translated in other ways in different versions. For example, the AV translates it virtuous. Uh, but usually it is translated as army, host, war, or in cases, uh, other cases, courage, valiant, or power. And only here in the AV is it translated as virtuous. So the translators obviously thought that a woman's greatest strength must be her virtue. And the NIV translated it of noble character. Um, but in the original, it has the more general sense of strength, a strong woman. So the Bible is not afraid of strong woman in the way that some of its translators have been. And it's also saying about how valuable uh, 
a wife can be to a husband in being a crown. A woman can make a man something more than he is in himself. Uh, Wolka says in his commentary, marriage is no light matter. The wife either makes or breaks a man in his home and in the community. And Proverbs 14 verse 1, the wisest of women each build their house, but the foolish demolish it with their own hands. Again here, uh, we see that the woman is related to the house. It's as much her house as it is the husband's, as much her home as the husband's. She is also responsible and accountable for her contribution. It is in her own hands. And again, the link is made here with wisdom. For in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, we're told that wisdom builds her house. And in 23, or 24, verse 3, we're told, by wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. So the house, the father's house, is not just the domain and the responsibility of the man, but the woman is an active, wise, and responsible participant or partner. And the man cannot afford to ignore or belittle the contribution that his wife has to make. Uh, Waltke, again, his commentary says, Without a wise wife, a godly household is scarcely possible. So woman can be a source of strength uh, to the home. More generally, we want to to think about how Proverbs is framed. As I said, it's aimed at a young man um, and trying to educate him so that he can make all the right choices in life. In Proverbs 1 to 9, wisdom is portrayed as a woman, possibly to make it more attractive to young men, but I believe more than that. One of the key things that a young man has to learn is how to choose the right kind of woman, and avoid their own kind. So in chapter 4, there is warning against the adulteress. Um, and the young man is told to drink from his own cistern. Uh, so you can go and have a look at that afterwards and reflect on it. In chapter 7, the young man is told to bind himself to wisdom, saying that she is his sister, an expression which may... Uh, be marital commitment, one of marital commitment. As Song of Songs 4.9 says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. And this binding to wisdom is to keep him from the adulteress. And the chapter goes on to say about how the simple or uneducated young man uh, may be seduced and led astray by the adulteress. And uh, I want here to uh, draw attention to the way in which men uh, can think sometimes which distorts what Scripture is saying. So in the African biblical commentary, uh, when it's commenting on the fact that the, the adulteress 
invites the young man in by saying that her husband is away and will not be back uh, until the full moon. This is what the, the commentator says. A Ugandan saying illustrates this aspect of human nature well. A suspicious husband, when asked when he intends to come back, answers, one who travels sees, that is, he sees what happens, and that is to say, I can't tell you now. He does not want to specify when he will return because he wants to keep his wife in a state of uncertainty. She will not be able to say, like the woman in our passage, he will not come home till full moon. An Ethiopian proverb reinforces this point. One who is not suspicious is destroyed, and there the commentator moves on to talk about something else, implying that you can't trust your wife, and therefore you should keep her ignorant. In chapter 9, the young man is exhorted to choose between woman wisdom and woman folly. And then the whole book finishes off in chapter 31 with a portrait of what wisdom looks like. And it's not portrayed uh, through a man, but through a woman, the wise and precious wife. In doing this, the final poem confirms that wisdom is for woman too. And the wise man will seek a wise wife and value and respect her and her abilities. So again, uh, you can look at chapter 31 uh, and reflect on that. Uh, So uh, I've just simply drawn your attention to some of the things that Proverbs says about woman. Uh, It addresses the issue of contention and the damage that it can do to the home, but it also looks at how the wisdom and a wife who pursues wisdom can be of great benefit to the home. And uh, it's not afraid to talk about women who deserve honor and women who are strong. And it commends the young man to make sure that he seeks a wife who is wise and to allow his wife the opportunity to practice wisdom something which perhaps doesn't always happen. So a wife is not a trophy or a toy. She's not a status symbol or a slave. She's a partner in the home in God's purpose for society. How you work together in a partnership will make or break your home. It will make it a warm, secure, inviting place that makes a valuable contribution to the life of a community or it can make it a wilderness that suffocates life. It can make or break people as individuals. It can make them bitter, angry, and decaying from the inside. Or it can make them men and women of honor. It advises that by wisdom we work out the problems that we encounter in the home and the family and do not allow contention or slander or anything uh, to disrupt the unity and the purpose that we share together. The heart never lies, we've been told by McFly. But Proverbs says that the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart can give us wrong attitudes about women, about those who are even closest to us, and we need to counter that by the wisdom that God gives us in his word.
that should direct us in the choices we make. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, some things, hopefully, to reflect on. Uh, and uh, let's just pray then uh, as we finish this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are concerned about uh, the value uh, of every person. You are concerned about their life, that they might live life to the full. And we pray, Lord, that in our homes, in our relationships, as we deal with others, as we deal with those closest to, to us, that we will allow them to live uh, to the fullness that you, uh, of the life that you give We pray, Lord, that we will not um, belittle others, that we will not cause contentions, that we will not uh, in any way uh, put people down or try to exert ourselves over others. We just pray, Lord, that there might be unity, that there might be peace in our lives so that we might honor you in all that we do. In thy name we pray. Amen.